Karen, we, we would hang out once in a while with the Perkheisers, and she's ornery, that's for sure. She's got that, she's got street smarts, is what I call it, and she's got that look in her eyes. She was so much fun, and I was thinking, is it better to love someone and be hurt at their passing, or is it better to protect your heart so that you're not hurt at their passing? It is better to love someone and be hurt than to protect yourself so that you're not hurt. So pour in the people and love people, even if it hurts, because it eventually will. Because I look around this room and I think, boy, everybody here is going to die someday, you know. And, uh, but better to love people than to live in the, some safety bubble. Because heaven's our safety bubble. Earth is a p time of pain and a time of growth. So just a thought. Sandra, would you agree with that? <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, let's, let's pray and we'll dig into the sermon. If you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 28 today. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And a couple other passages too. But let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your gift of your word. That you have passed it through the hands of men through thousands of years. You have put it together. You have invented the printing press so we could have our very own copy of it. And Father, I am so thankful that we get to feast on your word this morning. Father, I ask that your son be glorified, and I ask that your spirit would convict us, would encourage us, would challenge us, and would help us to clearly understand your word. Father, it's a privilege. You work in us all differently, and it is a privilege to be a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so today's sermon is titled, Make Disciples. I, I'm good at making that little popping thing. Um, it is Make Disciples. Today we're going to look at who should make disciples and how to make disciples. Um, there, is a, there is a debate whether... Discipleship leads to evangelism. Uh, you know, you start discipleship with them, with someone who's not a believer, and eventually you get to the, the gospel message. Or do you start with the gospel and then it's discipleship? My personal opinion on that is who cares what about the fine line? Just do it. You know, um, people can spend their whole life writing books on things, but it comes down to applying God's word uh, into life. So make disciples. And we're going to look at the who and how of evangelism. Evangelism means to convert or to share the message in the hopes that the person would convert. Discipleship is to train up, to coach, to mentor. Uh, it's kind of like Jesus and his disciples. He took aside men, he called aside men to come and to be his students. It was like a, so to speak, like a classroom and he was the instructor to them. Uh, he instructed through modeling, through teaching, and through uh, hands-on experience, so to speak. And um, that is discipleship. It's the process of teaching someone that they can in turn teach somebody else who will in turn teach somebody else. It's to pour into somebody that they would get what you got and do that to somebody else. That is discipleship, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. All right, so... Um, do you ever look on the internet, there's these uh, memes of you only had one job. You ever see these? Maybe it's called Fail Nation or you only had one job. These are some slides I, I found on the internet that the person had one job to do 
and they couldn't even do that job well. And see if you could find the errors in these things. Anybody? Anybody have like, I have no idea what this is right here. Raise your hand if you have no idea what that is. All right. So you have 48 Hours Movie with Nick Nolte on the left and Eddie Murphy on the right. Any problems there? Yeah, you only have one job. Make the thing right. You should have double-checked. Eddie Murphy is the guy on the left, and Nick Nolte is the guy on the right. You can tell by Nick Nolte's smile. All right. Then, then you have this one. You only had one job. Any issues you see there? Maybe it's a VA commercial. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, a little bit messed up. Now, this one's hard to see. You only had one job. See any errors there? What's wrong with that picture? What, what did the person do wrong there? Yeah, it takes a while to see it. So here's a parking lot, and those are the parking spaces, and that's a hill right behind the parking things. Nobody can park there. It's all blocked off. Didn't do it right. Next one. You only had one job. Man, I love this subtlety. Yeah, that doesn't work. Anybody want to buy that phone for $12? Anybody? anybody? All right. Next one. You only had one job. It looks like a corn. It, it does look like a kid. You're right. But they forgot to pick up the cone and pour the concrete right on top of the cone. It's pretty simple to remember to remove the cone before you pour the concrete. Next one. You only had one job. This has a history to it. This person gave the bakery, anybody, yeah, you know where this is going, a USB drive and said, the picture that I want on the cake is on the USB drive. And the person goes, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's what happened. So, you know, now only back sufferers will get this one. You only had one job. Back braces, bottom shelf. Never put a back brace on the bottom shelf. Why? Anybody want to explain why to those non-back sufferers? You can't get back up in three more days of recovery. All right, next slide. This is a subtle one. See if, see if you can. <laughs> You're right. Any, anybody not see the problem there? That screw is in the ground. It should be in the screw hole. Now, confession, anybody ever do that by mistake? I have a, that's why that's why the men of church have to come like Alan Zachary and come and help me. Jeff, what did you do over there? So and I blame Shelly. Shelly did it. So all right. So you only had one job. Um, our job is to, as far as a duty, is to make disciples. All right. And some people don't even do that well. So I I really struggle with this sermon. And here's why I struggle with this sermon. You know, if you keep your faith to yourself and you accept Jesus and you're, you're baptized and you're following him, that's good. But if you keep it only to yourself, if you keep it to yourself, you're safe. When you start going and preaching the good news, telling people that they're sinners, when you start telling people they need salvation, it is at that point where people begin to really hate you. All right? As long as you keep it to yourself, you can get along with people just fine. Just don't, just be a good person, you know. But when you start putting it out there for people, that's when you face persecution. That's when you face rejection. That's why Christians die around the world. They go and share Christ, 
they don't deny him, they're preaching the gospel, they're starting churches, and they're getting killed for it because they're doing this duty that the, that the Lord's given us to do. Keep it to yourself, no risk. Start sharing with others as he commanded, great risk, trouble, trials. So it's a tough sermon to preach you because I'm looking out thinking, man, if you keep it to yourself, you'll be all right. But as soon as you start preaching, you may get fired. You may lose a job. You may lose family relationships. You may have some problems because when you start telling people they're sinners, when you start telling people they need to be saved, that really rubs people the wrong way sometimes, you know. So uh, Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, here's the command that Jesus says. So open up to that. It says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now let me stop there. The mountain. In Galilee, there is one mountain. And the reason why I mention this is not to be snobby, but it's Mount Arbel. It means to storm. That's what the word Arbel means. To storm, to assault, and to attack. And that was a mountain known in the early church as the mountain that Jesus took his disciples to. Now, i got to paint a picture for you. If you get to go to Israel, go to Israel and see this. But Mount Arbel, uh, who's been to Israel in here? Ben, have you been at Mount Arbel? It is, it is cool. So you can see the Galilee. You can also see the cities of the Galilee. All the cities that Jesus went to was his main area of attack of uh, evangelism back when he was on the earth. So you can sit up on this cliff and just look over all of Galilee. It is an amazing view. But I like that word Arbel means to attack. So he took them to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. This is after his resurrection, right? But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. To a Jewish mind, they would have been floored. Go and make disciples of. This whole discipleship process is mentor, follow the rabbi, and become like the rabbi, and take other students. You, that was a Jewish thing. Jesus is saying, go to all the people groups, all the nations. It shocked them. Baptizing them. I grew up in a church that didn't baptize people. They baptized babies. Baptism is such an important part of the conversion experience. It is what he has called us to do. Not that it saved I don't believe it saved you, but it is tied right in with being a follower of Jesus. It's what saved people do. They get baptized. A lot of denominations deny this. Um, they don't have it at all, or they make light of it. It was very central to the gospel message here. Baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I love this part. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When you go out and you do this, I am with you in this. Then in Acts 1, verse 8, go ahead and turn to Acts 1, verse 8. Jesus gives his final 
I guess, curtain call before he goes up into heaven. And here's what he says to them. Verse 6, starting at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, are you going to set up shop and kick out these Romans finally? Is this the time? This had to be a tough response for them to hear. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. All right. You probably think, all right, I'm going to be a tough guy now, you know. Power for what? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. For what purpose? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, even Newmarket, Indiana. I don't think that was in the original Greek. But the end of the earth was. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And the cloud took him out of their sight. Have you ever thought about this passage? What a sad moment that would kind of have been. You know, you're with Jesus. Now, who doesn't want to be with Jesus? And all of a sudden, he is gone. And here we are 2,000 years later, still looking to the clouds. You know, still waiting for him to come back. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Lord. Two men stood beside them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Quit looking to the clouds. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So he's going to come back. I guess that's kind of why we look into the clouds sometimes. But Jesus didn't call us as Christians just to look to the skies and wait for him. He called us to do something, all right, as this passage states. So question, Matthew 28 and Acts 1 verse 8. Who is this command for? Who is the audience? Who does this passage apply to? Certainly, if you look at verse 16, it applies to the 11 that were there, right? Why not 12? Judas was gone at this point. So it definitely, in the immediate context, it applied to the 11. But it also applied to their disciples. Why? Because they are to teach them all that the Lord has commanded them. So their disciples are to be doing what the 11 were to do in their proper order. Now, the 11 are apostles, so they have a little bit of authority. They had a position of authority that their disciples did not, but still... The commands that Jesus gave are for their disciples. But it's also for us. Why? Because by the nature of discipleship, we are to be doing what those who discipled us to do did. And if they stunk at discipleship, or in my case, I was not discipled at all, other than a Sunday morning sermon, we are to do, uh, we might have to bypass if we've had a bad example, and go to what does the Lord say in his word that we should be doing, which is to make disciples, to evangelize. The problem occurs when this command is missed or ignored. 
either out of ignorance or stubbornness. Some people believe it was just the 11. And that is one reason why churches die. They die when people refuse to alter their life to obey what the Lord has commanded. Their Christianity is nothing more than whatever's convenient for them and makes them look socially acceptable. I was candidating at a church probably nine or ten years ago, something like that, and it was this church of just a few people left. And from what they were sharing, um, they were a group of people who just loved on one another. And for decades, they loved on one another. And they had no other vision other than that. And during the candidating process, they, someone said from the church board, uh, we're looking for a fresh vision for the church. Obviously, I didn't get the job probably because of what I said to them. I said, I got a vision for your church. Close your doors and go find a healthy church. That's what I told them. Why? They were about loving each other, and that's it. Of course we should love each other. But there's more to Christianity than just loving people. Or, let me put it this way, part of loving people is to share the truth with them, particularly those who need the great physician as well, Jesus. So that was my, that was my thought. I don't think it worked out very well. Um, they didn't call me back, at least. All right. We are to understand that this is a process. This discipleship, this evangelism is a process that started with Jesus and continues today in, and in the future. There is no retirement. I'm, I was looking around, and, and Curtis, did you find, is there a retirement clause in there? Does it say make disciples until you're 65? Anything like that? No? Okay. All right. Question, is this verse for the us as far as individuals, or is this verse for us as far as the corporate body? The corporate Is it for Harvest Fellowship as corporate Harvest Fellowship? Corporate, not meaning a corporation, but, you know, I mean the organized body. Or is it for just the individual? What would you say to that? Yes, that's the correct answer. It's for both. Now, we all have excuses, don't we? Uh, some of us, at least, not us, of course, to not lose our lives to follow Jesus in this commandment to make disciples. Here's what I've heard uh, from people over the decades on this. Here's what I've heard from older people. Not me. I have grandkids. I am old and worn out. I am like a dry, rotted tire. Let the younger people do it. I did my time. That gives a little Irish dialect in my head. Did you, though? <laughs> did you really do it when you had the strength and energy and whatever excuse you had? I doubt it. Maybe they did. I don't know. Maybe I'm being judgmental. Or you hear people with older kids. Not me. I have kids. I have kids in college. And I have to also take care of my parents. Maybe when I have some more time, I'll do it. Or younger parents. Not me. You see, the new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu. There we go. My kids are young and I need to pour into them in my home. Between my busy job and their after-school activities, I am too busy at this stage. Let the older people do it. They're retired and they have wisdom in plenty of time. Or younger adults. I would love to, Dad, if I could find the time. I am busy establishing myself. Plus, I don't know much about the Bible. I'm a newer Christian, maybe. Let the apologists do it, or let the pastors do it. Or teens. Not me, man. I'm not ready to commit social suicide. What if they don't like me? 
what is everyone what if everyone doesn't look up to me or what if someone thinks I'm weird or a fanatic or a nut let the older people do that or pastors not me I am too busy caring for the flock if I take a bunch of time out to evangelize I'll neglect the flock plus with my busy schedule of prayer or and Bible study and teaching prep and counseling and teaching combined with family time when do I have time or even evangelists not me I can't do an adequate job I can share the gospel but I can't possibly meet and disciple everyone Billy Graham's biggest struggle was the next step for converts he was good at preaching the gospel right but he struggled with making disciples even though his role was an evangelist or you have people who are in sin I can't make disciples not me Lord I have sinned and carry such shame God can't use a broken vessel like me kind of like Jesus if Jesus was starting a baseball team and he wanted you to join but you're like not me Lord I gotta and out come the excuses we all have reasons why we don't want to do what he wanted us to do and I think it's a battle of kingdoms are we about building our kingdom alone or we also yes we got to take care of things like our family we got to take care of things like our marriage yes yes the Lord understands that's part that's why he puts in his word that you should do that sorry but are you just about your kingdom or is there also room for you to be about God's kingdom and his purposes as well in your life he wants you to build into your family but he also wants you to reach out to others too can you imagine if all of us just focused on our family just discipled our own families and that was it the lost would have nobody to tell them the good news and we need people to do that all right open your Bible if you would to 2nd Timothy 4 verse 1 through 5 here's a letter written to Timothy who was a young in his 30s probably pastor who dealt with a lot of anxiety so it seems um, Timothy was pouring himself into this flock in Ephesus all right let's look at the command Paul gave to pastor Timothy from the church in Ephesus or for the church in Ephesus Paul says this I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is the judge who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom he charges him to preach the word be ready in season and out of season I don't like that out of season part because that that's awkward sometimes <laughs> reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching hello <laughs> kind of seeing that today right but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths like critical race theory and stuff like that verse 5 as for you always be sober-minded endure suffering do the work of an evangelist fulfill your purpose your ministry but Timothy was a busy pastor he was pouring himself into shepherding the church of Ephesus and it was a lot of exhausting work 
It was soul work. He was like a German shepherd, always on duty. I mean, wasn't there enough other people that could do the work of evangelists? Why did he have to do it as well? Paul says, no. Timothy, do the work of evangelist. Now, this doesn't limit evangelism to Timothy, but it does bring him in to the necessity of evangelism. If Timothy and the apostles were called to make disciples, and we are called to follow their pattern, then we also are the ones who should be making disciples, right? The question is, how? Okay, so we know we should be doing it as well. How do we make disciples? Now we're going to turn into a bit of a workshop. So if you have a sheet in front of you... Um, Feel free to write down and brainstorm some ideas. I'm going to throw out some ideas of how to do this in our culture. Um, so feel free, to, feel free to doodle on your paper while I talk. You don't have to look at me, of course. How do we make disciples? The call is for Jesus' witnesses to make it, right? Now, now um, number one, first way to do this is to learn how Jesus did it, and imitate him. So study the scripture. Learn the scriptures. Learn what Jesus did. There's a really good book uh, that would be great to read. Feel free to write this down. I may have put it in the bulletin. The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert E. Coleman. Great book on how Jesus won souls. Number two, study Jesus' interactions with the lost sheep of Israel and some of the Gentiles he ran across. Glean from how he did in the scriptures. If you read the Gospels thinking along the lines of how did Jesus do it, you will see the Gospels on another deeper level. Here are two examples that, um, uh, where Jesus interacts with people. The first one is in John 4, verse 21 through 28. I'll read it, and as I'm reading, answer the question, how did Jesus go about it according to this passage, all right? Let me read this to you. Uh, verse 31 through 30, I'm sorry. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. He had just talked to a woman at a well in Sychar. And he's just sharing with her and sharing himself with her. And the, he said to the disciples, the disciples wanted to go get some cheeseburger or something. And they come back and say, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then come the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, many theologians debate the word white. I don't really care. He's just saying it's ready for harvest now is what he's saying. If you want to go study what they think, go for it. Verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So what do we observe about the way Jesus saw things versus how the disciples saw things. Here's, here's some observations I came up with. Number one, C. Look at the world through Jesus' eyes, or as Dan likes to say, 
What did he say, Dan? Look through Jesus' nail holes. Is that right? Look through the holes in his hands. So learn, learn to see, learn to look at the world through his eyes. Second, lift up your eyes and see the spiritual needs of others. We're in a time it's hard to push down people's strong opinions about things. But learn to lift up your eyes and see people's spiritual needs. Next one. The spiritual needs, according to verse 31 through 34, are the main needs. Yes, food's important, right? If you want to live in the flesh, we need food. But spiritual needs are the main needs. A lot of churches are really good at doing good works and helping people be fed and giving people clothes and doing great stuff. And that's good to do. But we can't neglect, there are some churches that I've seen that only do that. We need to be a part, you know, bless people, do good things, do these things. But don't forget the main need of a person isn't clothing. It's Jesus. They need to be clothed with Christ, right? That's the main need. And the next observation I came up with was join, verse 37, join the Lord Jesus in sowing and reaping. Maybe you're good at sowing seeds of truth into people's lives. Maybe you're good at reaping uh, the harvest. Next passage, Matthew 9, verse 35 through 38. You answer the question, how, as I read it, and come up with your own gleaning on it. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore... It's a huge thing here. Don't neglect this part of it. Therefore, what? Get out there and do it? No, in this passage, he says, therefore, pray earnestly, passionately to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Prayer is a huge part. Lord, raise up people to reach souls in Montgomery County. That is a huge work to pray. So what do we observe about the way Jesus did things? He engaged people where they were. For example, in our lives, maybe it's at the breakfast company. Or maybe you engage people at the steel mill. Maybe at school. Maybe you engage people online, etc., etc. Are people today harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd or with a bad shepherd? How did Jesus see them? He saw them with eyes of compassion. In this passage, there's plenty of work to be done, but there's not enough workers. Sound familiar? Jesus asked them to pray that the Lord would send people out. Can you pray for the lost of our county? Can you start with praying at least weekly? Lord, send workers out to harvest in Montgomery County. Amen. You could just pray that weekly, once a week. So you might be thinking, that gets me off the hook. I could sit in my chair in prayer. Prayer is easy. I don't have anything to lay on the line. And the Lord wouldn't want me to, you know, deny myself 
or my friends or reputation. Prayer is vital, but it's not the only thing. You are called to do more. So, so far we've learned to learn and study and see things a certain way and join and engage and pray. So on a deeper level, how do we engage where we're at? How do we share the good news where we are at? I'll give you two examples, and you can make it into your own context. First example, because I know a lot of you go here. I'll walk through maybe a situation here, and that's at the breakfast company. How many of you guys go to the breakfast company? Raise your hand if you go to breakfast company. Raise it higher. Now do this. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So some examples from these passages. Um, as I brainstorm what I came up with, feel free to write down whatever the Lord leads you to. Uh, one, be a light on purpose. Be a witness on purpose. You know, Jesus said, let them see your good deeds. Um, shine your light that they could see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Be a light. Go there thinking, I want to be a witness for Christ here. Or even walk it in, Lord, help me be a light for you at the breakfast company. Look for ways to bless them. Like the wait. Like, um, you know, your waitress or who's that really built guy who fills, you know, coffee and cleans tables? That guy. Um, look for ways to bless them. High tips. Anybody a server here say amen? You know, high tips would be a great way to bless them. Uh, pray for the workers there that God would send people to reach them. Engage people in spiritual conversations like this, maybe. How can I pray for you? You know, if you see someone struggling, your server... Hey, it looks like you're having a rough day. How can I pray for you? Anybody in here ever do that to somebody? Raise your hand if you had. See, there's people that already do that. Just join them. Join them in that process. All right. Or you could even ask them, hey, do you go to church somewhere? Invite them to church. Maybe even pray with them if they are struggling. Follow up with the prayer and ask them the next week you go in or two, hey, how's that going? Ask them, give them have them give you an update on it. That shows you care. Invite them to church or fall fest and other places where the good news is shared. Invite them into a relationship with Jesus and with his, his saints. Invite them to your small group. Start a spiritual conversation and bring it toward the good news of Jesus. See where it goes. Start that, hey, how are you and God doing? And, and, and see where that spiritual conversation goes. Maybe they're too busy. That's okay. You know, you don't want them fired over the conversation. But, but start. See where, see where it heads to. If someone at, 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 say, the breakfast company has questions about God or the Bible or faith, offer to meet with them to study what the Bible says about what the Bible says about it. Maybe study together with them. If it's a female server, employ your wife to join you with them. All right, that's called discipleship. That's a good thing. Now, teachers, I know it's your first week of school, and I, I've heard that about half of you are ready to quit after the stress of the first week of school. Teachers, any of you need, like, extra Mountain Dew this week? You want me to bring your staff Mountain Dew or something like that? Anyhow, teachers, here's what you can do in school, just brainstorming, because I've subbed many times, which is a tough job. I can't imagine being a teacher. I come home from subbing, and I go into a deep depression. <laughs> but, no, I, I, go, I get home from subbing, and I lay on the couch. I'm like, I'm so exhausted, you know. I do that when I hang out with myself as well, but that's a different story. All right. So teachers, for all the teachers in here. By the way, who is a teacher? Raise your hand. If you're a teacher in a school, a lot of teachers in here. All right. Go into school to be a light or a witness. Let them see your love, your patience, your Christ-like way of dealing with things. Hello, overturning the tables, right? 
Well, maybe I'll return to class. No. Pray for the souls there that God would send people to reach them. Preach the gospel in your classroom. Just kidding. I know you can't do that. That would be unprofessional, right? But you can do these things. You can look for ways to bless them. Let them see your good works. Bless your students or coworkers or principal. Bring your Bible and put it on your desk. I've had students ask me before, are you allowed to bring the Bible into school? I had this guy named Briley Leaper. Remember them, Corn? Remember Briley and his family? He walked up to me one day at a Bible. He goes, wait, man, I don't think you're allowed to bring a Bible to school. I said, why not? Wasn't it like against the law? I'm like, it's not against the law for me to have a Bible. Well, let me ask you a question. And, and, and when he asked a question, you could have a conversation with them, right? Briley ended up coming to a church youth group, and we ended up building a relationship with their family all over that, putting the Bible on the desk. I think God used that in a really cool way. Engage people in spiritual conversations such as coworkers, particularly. How can I pray for you? Do you go to a church somewhere? You can do that with them as well. Pray with them privately or at your desk quietly if they are struggling. You know, a student is struggling. Hey, what's going on? Oh, this is going on. I mean, you, could, you could offer to pray for them, I believe. I don't think that's illegal. But follow up with them after you pray and ask for an update. Invite them to church. Invite them to go to Fall Fest. That's why we have Fall Fest. And other places where the good news is shared as well. Invite them to be tutored maybe by other saints. I know there's other Christians who tutor in our county. You know, other people who are on gospel mission. Invite them to join uh, or to partner with them. Start a spiritual conversation and bring it towards the good news of Jesus. See where it goes. If someone has questions about God, they see your Bible, for instance, or a coworker, they see they have questions, offer to meet with them off, uh, off hours or after hours. Do a Bible study with them. I know New Market Elementary has had this going for a while with some of the teachers, right, where they do that. It is legal for you to answer. If someone asks you a question about the Lord in a public school, it's legal for you to have a conversation with them about it question and then we're done are you willing to lay yourself your agenda your friendships and your life on the line to be doing what Jesus told you to be doing father I pray that um, many of us here are we're trying to win people to you trying to build your kingdom I pray that you would help us father I pray that you would raise up workers to come into our county to share the good news, that people would be saved, that people would have a permanent relationship with you, that you would transfer people in our county out of the kingdom of darkness, as Colossians teaches, and into the kingdom of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would not feel heavy after the sermon, but we would feel convicted if and where we need to, and that we would be encouraged and we would be spurred to be obedient to you, the one that we love, however you lead us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.